Welcome. Leftists are the flat earthers of economics. Their arguments go so much against reality that they should face the intellectual ridicule that flat earthers are facing. The problem is that although flat earthers are a tiny minority, the economic fallacies of the left enjoy a majoritarian status, at least in humanities, in academia, but also in among public opinion. So what we're going to do today, I found three very interesting uh, and false claims done by someone of progressive persuasion, and I want us to discuss them. So today we're going to discuss three tweets by Nina Turner, a Twitter handle at Nina Turner. So uh, Nina Turner is an educator, an activist, and a politician, and she has gained a lot of traction on Twitter with some of her claims. So without further delay, let's see her, fir her first claim. So she told us last week, a reminder, line cooks at McDonald's do more to generate profits than the CEO. So the context here is that Nina is advocating for higher wages, for what she calls living wage. And her idea is that CEOs are getting millions, whereas the real backbone of the economy, which is the line worker, is only getting peanuts and they're not able to make ends meet. So let us see why this is a false argument. Line cooks do more to generate profits than the CEO. So first of all, this is another version of the you didn't build that argument. This is another version of the argument that tells to the to the creators of, uh, to the people who put in their capital, the so-called capitalists, the entrepreneurs, or the CEOs, the people who run the companies, that the wealth that you have created is not up to your ability and effort, or not only up to your ability and effort, but mostly and significantly based on the effort of countless other people, and therefore you owe something to them whether it is the society, so you owe higher taxes, or whether it is your workers. But also, this is a version of the labor theory of value, which says that the profit for the capitalist comes through the exploitation of the work of the worker. Now, there's a problem with this theory, because if it was purely labor that produced profit, so if the way to make money was to squeeze as much possible the available workforce that is out there, then the richest countries would be the countries that have a lot of cheap labor force, or even better, the countries that have an authoritarian regime that they have a workforce which is subjugated, or even countries that have workforce which is not miles away from slavery. So, for example, we'd see uh, Soviet Union or China being the richest countries. Or maybe it would be a developing country where there's millions of people who can't wait to work for almost nothing. And these would be the countries that would be the richer if money came out of exploitation of cheap labor. Of course, this is not the case. The main resource that produces money is this, is the minds of the people who have come up with great ideas, with productive ideas, with new ways of uh, using uh, the, pro the, the productive forces, of using the machines or technology, or of coming up with new technology. So let's break it down a bit 
more to the, not to the abstract economic level, to the practical level. Is it the case that in Apple, for example, it is the workers that produce all the wealth? Then what we would see happening would be that when the CEO changed, because again, remember, the CEO does not is not the major factor in terms of how well a company will do. So when the Apple changed their CEO at some point, when Steve Jobs left Apple, what we would expect to see that nothing would change. We'd have the same workers, the same amount of workers. Therefore, Apple would be exactly the same company. Is this what we saw? Of course not. We saw the exact opposite. One man made a huge difference from Apple being a joke to Apple being one of the biggest companies in the history of humanity and actually changing literally the world and changing human history with the smartphone and with all the other devices. But let's see it also from another point of view. So Nina Turner thinks that the CEOs are basically some lazy people who don't do much and they get millions. If this is the case, then we would assume that every company has a board of directors and shareholders who are stupid. Because why pay a guy who doesn't do much, why pay him millions? Why spend hundreds of millions to one person who is a parasite? And also, I have another idea. Anyone who believes that the CEO does nothing, you have the opportunity to become very, very, very rich. Start a, a, a cooperative, build your own company without the CEO, and save the hundreds of millions that you'd give the CEO. And here's all the field in the world for you to make a lot of money. Find a loan from the European Union or uh, from a progressive uh, some progressive founder and begin your own company without CEO, a company where the workers are in charge and see how it goes. This would be the equivalent of saying in football that the manager or the general or the general manager are worthless and it's the players who do all the work. Where at one level in football, yes, of course, it's the players who are actually without players, there is no football. But how would a team look like without a manager? Or how many times have we seen a team changing a manager and then this changing completely the trajectory and the history of the team? What was Manchester United without Alex Ferguson compared to what is Manchester United without Alex Ferguson compared to Manchester United with Alex Ferguson? So this idea that the person who is in charge and who has to, who has to move all the pieces the person who has to see decades in the future and the person who has to make all these great, all these difficult decisions, the idea that this person to the operation of a business is absolutely, how to put it? I don't want to say stupid. It's absolutely wrong. Also, part of why McDonald's has this very successful model is because of the locations they pick, the system they have come up with, the fact that their, product, that their product is standardized throughout the world. So, for example, when I travel for work, I like to eat a Big Mac because I know I'm sure it's everywhere the same. There are no bad surprises there in the, as you would have a bad surprise with a local cuisine that you don't know. But Nina Turner thinks that the profits in McDonald's are generated from line cooks. And also we'll see sooner than later that uh, line cooks are going to be more and more be substituted from machines 
particularly because of people like Nina Turner doing things that make the work of the worker actually more expensive for McDonald's and therefore they substitute them with machines. We've already seen this with the machine that you order automatically. So line cooks do not do more to generate profits than the CEO. This is a myth that has been busted again and again under different names, whether the name is labor theory of value or the, the you didn't build that accusation. Also, if money were created during the production process, then you wouldn't even have to sell a product to make money. This is the mud pie fallacy in Marxism. Marx says that the value in a program is not its use value, it is its exchange value. Not to get you too much into Marxist jargon, but this would basically mean that in the, in the mind of, of a crude Marxist, what is most important is the labor you put into a product. Whereas, no, the Austrian school tells us that the value in the program, in a, in, in a product, is that someone will want it. So it's what Marx actually called the exchange, so the, the use value, that actually someone needs it and someone wants to buy it. So let's go and see the second fallacy. Again, a tweet by Nina Turner that created an interesting discussion. So at some point, she says, I do believe we can abolish poverty. She's right on that, although for the wrong reasons. I also think we can abolish poverty. And then the Twitter account of the Oklahoma Libertarian Party says, only capitalists can abolish poverty. Again, they're right. Rare for libertarians these days, but they're right. And then Nina Turner says, capitalism created the poverty that we now see. Now, this is so blatantly a completely wrong statement that if I would debunk you, it would be an assault to your intelligence. You've seen so many times the hockey stick from uh, Deirdre McCluskey. You've seen the statistics about how capitalism has supercharged uh, the, the life expectancy, the GDP per person, how billions of people have come out of poverty in countries that have added elements of capitalism in their economy. You already know that. I won't insult you by debunking this. But it gets interesting because at probably she realizes that, okay, what I said is not super uh, insightful. So she adds a second tweet and says, American capitalists move factories overseas to save a dime. American capitalism relies on poverty to create a workforce that is willing to work for less. So here she's adding some nuance to the argument that capitalism creates poverty, and she explains us how. So very interesting points. How does capitalism create poverty? Number one, by the capitalist flying, uh, flying uh, overseas. Now, this is exactly the argument of Donald Trump. This is exactly the argument of the reactionary right. This is exactly the argument of all these new types of authoritarian right-wingers. And of course, this is also a leftist argument. So notice here how the leftists are, it's like the meme from Predator with a, with, a, with a handshake. Left and authoritarian rights agree that capitalism creates poverty because they move their factories abroad. So the way they think about it, the ideal would be to stay where production is more expensive. Of course, then this would mean that the product would also be more expensive for you. But of course, they don't understand this. Or in their ideal system, the capitalist should be a slave of the state 
and the capitalist should work locally, put all his effort, all his me- all his intellectual efforts and ingenuity under coercion from the state, and then sell at the prices that the state dictates. Of course, there's a name for the system, and the system is fascism, economic fascism. Or the state can actually take over, in which case we are in the territory of socialism. Of course, then production will go uh, production will will be lowered to a level that will make it uh, unrecognizable. But after making the Trumpian arguments, he makes one more argument. American capitalism relies on poverty to create a workforce that is willing to work for less. Now, this is the this is another version of the immiseration thesis of Marx. So the idea is that there is this plan or conspiracy or there is this trend by capitalists to want to have a workforce that is poor so that they can exploit that workforce. So, for example, if you are very, very poor, you can come and work for me almost for uh, for nothing. Now, is it true that a capitalist would ideally want you to work for as few, as little money as possible? Of course, in the same way that you would want the capitalist to pay you ideally one million per hour. Of course, neither of these two situations is possible. First, because if the capitalist offered you nothing, you will go and work for someone else. And also, if you work, if you ask your boss for one million pounds per hour, he will find someone else. So, do we have any evidence that this is the case? Do we do we have any actual evidence that capitalists come together and say, let's lower our wages so that the working class becomes immiserated? Of course not. But there's another problem with this thesis. What would happen if the workforce is consciously and intentionally immiserated? What happens if all the workers, particularly in the United States, are poor and they are poor because of a of a of a plan by the capitalists? Where would the capitalists sell their products? Who would buy their products? These workers are at the same time the consumers of these products. So if you are creating, for example, TV sets, or if you are creating uh, water bottles, or if you are, uh, I don't know, a gym owner, and if your plan is to come together with all the other bosses and put the salaries down, these people with the low salaries are also your clients. So it would make economically zero sense to say that there is this plan to immiserate the working class. So this is a typical conspiracy theory, except that this conspiracy theory does not come from someone like Alex Jones, who is discredited at least from uh, reasonable people. It comes from someone who has ideas that most uh, of the opinion makers and the intellectual elite are clapping on, and they are considering them very good ideas. So let's go then through the this let's go to the third slide and the third sorry to the third tweet. So this is again we come back to the topic of a living wage and the idea that your boss, the capitalist, should pay you a higher wage that would be a living wage. So that's the last tweet we're going to debunk. So Nina says, a line cook at a fast food restaurant shouldn't live in poverty. Okay, 
No one should. Okay. But some believe that even if you work full-time, some jobs are beneath a living wage. All work has dignity. Okay. So here there are many things that are thrown in the mix. So the idea is that because today many people cannot make ends meet, which is true, the responsibility lies to, with their bosses and their bosses should pay them higher wages. Now, there's a moral problem with this claim and there's an economic problem with this claim. I will begin with a moral problem. The moral problem is that it starts with the premise that it is your boss's job, it is your boss's responsibility, how you're going to do in life in terms of living a comfortable life. The fact is, and thank God that it is this way, that it is your responsibility how your life would go. Now, is it true that it sucks if you cannot make ends meet? It is true. But how is this your boss's responsibility? Let's think about it this way. Let's say you work in a, you work in a factory and you work the lowest of the low jobs in a factory. Now, the fact that your life sucks, again, is tragic. But at the same time, what is happening is that from the whole society, there was one person, the greedy capitalist, who told you, I'm going to give you a chance. This chance will include a crappy job and a crappy salary. But that person gave you something that no one else did. The other factory didn't give you the chance. The bakery down the road didn't give you the chance. Your relatives didn't give you that chance in terms of helping you. Maybe they can't, they're poor. Or maybe you're a horrible person and no one wants to uh, help you. Or maybe you're a very virtuous person, but you're unlucky. Whatever the situation is, so here we're not judging your moral status, but the fact that someone gives you a job, the fact that McDonald's hires you to flip hamburgers means that by the fact that you took the job, it is that it was your best offer. So the one person in society that gave you this chance, now you want to throw rocks to them. Now you want to go to the state and tell them, look, uh, this person should give me more. So why is it your boss's responsibility that you have a living, a living which is relatively comfortable? If it's not your responsibility, why it's not the responsibility of your neighborhood or of the school from which you graduated or, uh, I don't know, your church, whatever? Why is it that the one person who gave you a chance, of course, they will also get something in, in, in return, which is your work, but why it is that it's their responsibility that your life should be comfortable? And I, I agree. There, there should be the case that we should live in a society where everyone, anyone who wants to work and anyone who has the ability to, to do some work should live a, a more comfortable life because technology is so, uh, is so advanced and all that stuff. But who is stopping that? Is, it, is the barrier to you and a comfortable life your boss? Let's check it out. And let's see why this is also an economic fallacy. Whenever you go to buy something from the grocery store, you pay something like 20% plus in VAT. It's, it's a direct tax on sales, so to speak. If you go and every time you go and buy cigarettes, which it's mostly a habit of poor people, and this is, this is not uh, me dunking on poor people, 
I enjoy the occasional cigarettes as well. But they pay more than double the price of cigarettes in taxes, the so-called sin taxes. Sin, S-I-N, like religious sin. Every time you go to fill your car with gas, you pay more than 50% of the price is taxes. And at the end of the month, when you try to see how you'll make ends meet, at the end of the year, actually, the state comes to you and says, whatever you've made, give me 20% income tax. And if you are unlucky enough to own, a, a, so if you're lucky enough to own a house in Greece, the state will tell you, okay, now give me your property tax. So the fact that your life is not livable, the fact that your wage is not a living wage economically, it has to do more with all these factors rather than with the fact that your boss is greedy or the fact that you're cold and that you have to wear three layers of clothes in the winter has to do with the fact that the ideology that I'm sure Nina Turner is supporting and the ideology that the state has also espoused makes cheap energy almost a crime and therefore energy has become unaffordable and many people tragically live in energy poverty. So if you're a friend of the workers, if you're a friend of the people who are struggling, if you want to see more and more people being able to have a better life, you should do one thing. You should throw to the bin the ideas like the ones that Nina Turner espouses, the ideas of the left, and you should say you are against the prosperity of the average person and you are not a friend of the poor. Actually, you are one of the reasons, your ideas are one of the reasons why they are poor. So this is how I see it. And notice there, she, she, comp she confuses different things. All work has dignity, of course. Honest work has dignity. But the fact that work has dignity doesn't mean that your boss should pay you more than what they take out of you or more from uh, what uh, you have uh, agreed. So these things, I guess they sound good to some people, but not only they don't make sense economically, first and foremost, they are also immoral stances. They're ideas that uh, are quite, uh, quite wrong and immoral, or maybe they're wrong because they're immoral and they're not practical because they're not moral. So that's uh, the tweets I want to discuss. Let's see uh, what are the comments. Thank you very much, Catherine. I guess Jonathan tried to send us some money, but uh, they were for some reason they didn't go through, but thank you very much, Jonathan. Philosophical Zombie Hunter says, poverty is the default state. People should ask what causes prosperity. Of course. So in the mind of these people, people are born rich and then a capitalist comes and takes everything away from them. Whereas actually, the capitalist is... Actually, I don't want to use this term because it's very, it's, it's very abstract. The people who have produced the technologies, the heater, the TV, the internet, the factories, the cars, the, the, the hospitals, the, the medical facilities. These are the people who have made our life livable. These are the people who have taken us from the hand and they have, ta they have taken humanity to where it is in the 20th, 21st century. So the least you should do is to say thank you. And at least don't be a horrible person who throws rocks to the biggest benefactors 
of, uh, of humanity. So I'm with you, uh, philosophical zombie hunter. You're perfectly fine. Uh, you're perfectly right. And Phil says, this... Uh, so Phil says some a very generous contribution, Phil, but the, the message has a, a, a syntactic error. Thanks for your analysis of history. I think this is what you're saying. And more easily assimilated. Anyway, I'm not sure what it says there, Phil, but really appreciate this very, very generous contribution. If you want, uh, post it again. It doesn't have to be a super chat. And I will read it because, again, the syntax there is a bit complicated. Oh, the history of USSR. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Yes, he, he talks about one of my... Uh, previous episodes in USSR. So I'm probably going to be doing this every couple of weeks, maybe find uh, the three weirdest uh, leftist tweets uh, about uh, some common uh, misunderstandings that people have and debunk them whenever I have a solo episode in the Daily Objective. Now, what's happening in ARC UK, which is five years old, we had our celebration this weekend in Edinburgh and those of you who were there know what a good time we had. 7 p.m. UK time we have the Fountainhead Book Club for ARC UK members and the session will also be live streamed to YouTube members. Link in the chat. 10 p.m. UK time Artful Tuesdays with Kirk Barbera, Antje Colella and Mark Berliner on the Letters of Ayn Rand. So we have an all-star uh, lineup there. And tomorrow's TDO, our cops, our cops out of control with James Valiant and Mark Pellegrino. So many thanks for keeping us, for keeping me company today. Many thanks for your super chat. Many thanks to the particularly generous super chat by Phil. We'll be here to destroy the fallacies of the flat earthers of economics. And thanks for keeping the lights on. Bye-bye.